All right, let's jump in. I want to start out this morning asking you this question. How many of you, you had a friend from back in the day, from years ago, that is just like unforgettable? You know what I'm saying? Maybe they were just out of the box crazy, or maybe they were just that good. But how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You had a friend that was just, you'll never forget them. Now, how many of you, you are that friend? you just like, that's me. I am that my son Judah, he's sitting up here. He's a freshman in high school, and he's, he's had this little crew of friends for some time. But there's this one guy that he's friends with. His name is Joseph, but we call him Gibby. And Gibby is just, he's that guy. We have said that years from now, we're talking 30, 40 years from now, we'll be having a family gathering, and we're going to be talking about Gibby. Because this is the kid that when it comes to dressing up, he thinks wearing Crocs is how you dress up. I mean, he is just out of the box crazy. He's always got one of those lines that are hilarious. And if he were here, I'd have him come up and share with you, but he's not here. And so you get me today. But he's one of those guys that we're going to be talking about for years to come. I know Cynthia, she has a good friend uh, from back in the day. Her name is Vicky, And they, they eventually became like sisters. And Cynthia moved in with their family. And we still do life together with them around the holidays. And, and they start telling stories from back in the day. And, and we never hear the rest of the story. Because they start out like, hey, and one time we were walking, I don't know, we were crazy, middle of the night down this long, dark gravel road, and we heard something, and we thought somebody was coming after us, and then they start laughing, cracking up, and then they crying, laughing so hard, and we're just sitting there waiting for the rest of the story, and we still don't know what happened. We still have no clue what's happened because they just have these stories and, and, and they, they just, it's like that little intuition, you know what I'm saying? Like they get it, no one else gets it, they have words. Like, like we hear it and we just think that's not a big deal. Like when they say the word roach, there's, there's intention there. When we say it, we're like, kill that thing. But they have like all these different little things, these little inside things, and it's just unforgettable. And so we have those people in our lives, and I think that's just an indication of how powerful a relationship could be. How many of you ever got in trouble with a friend before? And you said it was their fault. Come on, raise your hand. It was all them. How many of you got in trouble before by yourself? It's harder to get in trouble by yourself. When you got a friend, listen, I can remember growing up, we would do these Friday night campouts, like after football season was over, it cooled off, and so Friday nights you didn't have anything to do, and so we would camp out, and somebody there would always come up with a good idea. And some of you know what I'm talking about, like cars passing on the highway, you need to show them things. <laughs> I'm not going to get graphic, but many of you with an imagination like, I know what you're talking about. It's the power of relationships, though. I don't know what it is. I think there's going to be stories that we tell down the line that'll start out with this phrase. Well, I had this friend once, and then the story can go anywhere. Because the power of relationships. And we're going to be, in this, in this series, we're going to be talking about some key relationships. We want to talk about our squads, the people that we're around, the people that's in our lives, and those relationships. And we want to talk about what are the goals for these relationships. Like, like I think a lot of times when we think about friends, we always think about what we're going to do this weekend. But I think we need to consider what we're going to do with our lives and what, what kind of value are they bringing to our lives and what kind of value do we bring to those. And I think it's important that we identify who is on our squad. And I think it's also important for us to identify whose squad we are on. Amen? So here's something I'm going to start with today. There's a lot of people trying to live the right life 
but they have the wrong people around them. They're trying to live right. They're trying to get it all right. But they just have the wrong people that they're allowing to be an influence. And, and they're having people in their life that they don't trust, but yet they keep them around. People that they should be listening to that is not in their squad. And these are the key relationships that we need to be able to work on and clean that up a little bit. Because the people that we surround ourselves with, they are playing a part in our future. And it's funny because we, we will definitely tell kids this. Like, if you have a child, you're trying to help them develop good friendships, and we want them to be aware of the types of friends they have and tell them, you know, that kind of friend's not going to be good for you. They're going to take you down the wrong path. While sometimes we have some friendships, some relationships with, that are really not good for us. And we, and we don't like to talk about it because we don't want to come across as being judgmental. But I think this, instead of being judgmental, we have to use good judgment. Amen? We have to use some good judgment and realize the influence of key people and certain people that we allow to be in our lives. And I believe that if we're really, really intentional with our relationships, I think it can have a great impact on our lives in the right way. Amen? And so in this series, this is what we're going to do. Today we're going to talk about what squad, whose squad you need to be on. But next week we're going to talk about squad goals for your marriage, like for your spouse. And Cynthia is going to join me with, uh, for this one. And we're, we just want to talk about some good goals that you need to have whenever it comes to you and your spouse. Now, I know everybody who's single is like, well, that ain't for me. I'm going to skip church next week. No, don't, because you need to hear this, because this is going to be helpful for you when you are in that marriage relationship, okay? And so learn what you can now. And all the married people are like, yes, amen. Learn what you can now so that you start out strong. And then after that, week three, we're going to talk about squad goals for your kids. And you're saying, I don't have kids. One day you will. And we want to set you up for success. And so squad goals, what's some, some goals that you have set for you and your kids? And then the last week, we're going to talk about squad goals for you and your friends. And talk about the, the importance of friendships and how they need to be shaped and all those different things. So today, what we want to do is just help you make the most, as we're doing this series, make the most of the key relationships around you. Amen? So today, as we jump in, we use Matthew chapter 4 as our text and Jesus is beginning his ministry. And, and I love to see how this occurs because I, I look at Jesus and it's like, you know what, Jesus, why are, you, why are you asking people? Like, you're good all by yourself, man. You don't have no drama to deal with. You don't have the inconvenience of waiting on people. Or are they going to show up? Or are they going to be late? Like, you don't have to hear no one's mouth yapping because that, you know, you know all that stuff. And Jesus, he, I mean, he is big time and he is God and he is man and he's got it all going on. And it blows my mind that he would choose to build a team of people. That he would set up a squad and say, you know what? I'm not just doing this on my own. I'm opening the door for some relationships, some key people in my life. And then when you begin to really look at how he builds his squad, it's really mind-blowing. Because Jesus, when he was drafting this team, he didn't go after the big-time people. He went after ordinary people. Uh, let me give you a clue. Since he's God, he already knows how Judas is rolling. But he's man too, but he's God all at the same time, okay? So he already knows how Judas is rolling and still says, I want you on my team. Now, if we were using one of those little tests today, you know, like the assessment for employees, trying to figure out what kind of employees fits your personality style, your leadership style and all that thing, Jesus wouldn't have done well on that. 
Like Jesus is not like he, according to today's standards, he doesn't do well with the hiring scene because he's got one guy who is a, a, a corrupt tax collector. He's got another guy who's stealing out the offering and Jesus put him in charge of it. Can you imagine? Imagine if we did that. Y'all would be like, I'm out of here. And Jesus, like, he knows how these guys are. And so he takes these ordinary guys and he brings them onto his team. Now, you and I thought that Jesus would have picked the perfect people. But here's the thing. When Jesus came, he didn't find perfect people. He didn't find perfect people. He found people who needed a savior. He found people that needed help. He found people that needed hope. He found people that were really struggling. And so he took some ordinary men. And he turned their lives around. And because of the glory that's in the story of taking an ordinary man and turning his life around, it gave him more leverage to reach more and more men and women all throughout, not just the world, but from generation to generation to generation. He was a little bit more forward thinking than what we give him credit for. But it's still, it's the fact that Jesus was building his squad with people that were like, wow, I wouldn't have picked that guy. But Jesus had a greater purpose for him, so he picks him on his team and changes the guy's life. And I think that's pretty incredible. He didn't go for the specialty people. He went for the ordinary people. Anybody ordinary in here? Come on, wave at the preacher today. Just say, hey. Okay. So it's not just when we're thinking about relationships, we're thinking about your squad. It's not just who's on my squad. But I think the better thing to consider is whose squad are you on? Whose squad are you on? And this is an important question. And what comes to mind is in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 5. And so if we can rewind, give you a quick Old Testament history lesson. The children of Israel is enslaved by the Egyptians. And the Lord is using this man named Moses to set them free. And so Moses has led them out of Egypt. And they're in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. But they're not there yet. And so Moses dies in the wilderness. But the assistant Joshua takes over. And so Joshua is feeling pretty good about himself. Because he's a warrior. You know what I'm saying? He's not a weekend warrior. He's an everyday kind of warrior. And so he, he's just the guy that handles business. He'll cut you up. I mean, he's just that kind of leader. But yet he he finds himself now in a role that he has to move a whole group of people forward into the promised land. And so he's a little bit on edge. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he talked himself up really good. His resume looked awesome, but now he's the man in charge. And so he's nervous because he doesn't want to met this, mess this up because this is history, you know. And so he's walking around. They're trying to take on this city of Jericho. They got to take this is the first step in, in taking the promised land. And so he's trying to figure out how we're going to take this city. I mean, we got a bunch of people that's just leaving from Egypt and they're not sure what they can and cannot do. And so he's walking out in the wilderness trying to get his head clean. And this man appears to him, and the guy has a sword. And so Joshua does what you and I would do. Hey, bro, whose team are you on? Are you on our side or theirs? Like, let me know if we're about to fight or if we're about to sit down and hang out. And the guy says, neither. But as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And I love that because it's like God shows up on the scene and says, listen, this isn't about getting on your side or their side. And that's how we like to think. Whose side, Lord, are you on? And the Lord is just saying, whose side are you on? Are you on my side? Because a lot of times we spend our Christianity trying to get God on our side of everything we do. We do it in marriages. We do it with our kids. We do it in politics. Come on. We do it with our teams. We do it with all kinds of things. Jesus is on my side. But the real question is, are you on his side? 
He said, as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua's like, oh, my bad. My bad, my bad. And the angel is basically saying, you need to get on my side. Because I have to say so. God has to say so. And I think that puts us in a position today to ask ourselves, whose side am I on? Am I spending all of my Christianity just trying to get Jesus on my side? Watch this. Am I spending all my prayer time just trying to convince Jesus to do it my way? Say glory, somebody. Come on, the amen lady ain't in this service. Somebody better help me. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Jesus said, come follow me. In other words, he said, hey, I want you to come be on my squad. I want you to be on my team. And so I'm going to break this down for you a little bit today because I believe that Jesus has some squad goals for us. He does. He has some goals for us. And this is so important to talk about because, like I said, if we're not careful, it's all about Jesus come and do everything my way. Come and fix this thing my way. And usually that way is the most convenient way for us. And I have found that God isn't so much concerned about your convenience as much as he is your commitment and your character. And listen, I'm not just saying that. I've had to live that because there's a lot of things. Jesus, wipe him out. Just wipe him out. If he was wiped out, we wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. And Jesus is like, but I'm using him to make you better. Are you serious, Lord? Whose side are you on here? And he said, neither. <laughs> Amen. I'm just going to be quiet, Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> so what are some squad goals that Jesus has for us? Here's the first thing. And this one, I think, is, is so powerful. The first thing is Jesus chose me. He chooses you. I think Jesus wants you to know that you've been chosen. Somebody's having flashbacks right now, like back to middle school, lined up in the PE class, got your little PE shorts on, your little shirt. And you ever notice, like at our school, you had to write down a number on your shirt, like your student number. I was number 633. I don't know what that means, but I was number 633. I didn't even like the number, but that's what I had to wear. And so we're lined up on the wall, and they always pick, like, the two biggest guys to pick the teams. You know what I'm saying? And so they're out there, and they're, they're kind of looking at everybody, trying to see who's the most athletic, who's the most compliant, who's going to pass them the ball, you know, all that stuff. And so they get down, and it's three people left. How many of y'all know what that feeling's like? How many of y'all been part of that three crew? You know what I'm saying? It's down to three. And they know if they pick that one person, that makes the teams odd which means you ain't getting the ball ever. And so you're sitting there and you're like, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. And they go down and you're last. And it's like, fine, I don't even want, I didn't even want to play then. I'm going to go home. It's my ball. Give me my ball. But it brings this whole feeling of, watch this, am I accepted? And I have found that acceptance is one of the biggest things that we consider with where we go, who we're around, and what we do. Acceptance is huge. In fact, I would say this acceptance is one of the biggest issues in our lives. In fact, if you walk into, if you walk into a meeting and you don't feel like you belong there, you'll find a way to get out of there. Even if you had to be there, you'll find a way to get out. If you walked in here today and you didn't feel loved, you didn't feel accepted, it could be the last time that you would come here. Because we want to go somewhere where people want us to be there. 
Like this is a, this is a real thing for us. Like that, that they want me. They want me to be there. And Jesus, he shows up on the scene and he says, I want the ones that are overlooked. Because none of the disciples would have been considered to be a part of Jesus' team. Think of the religious leaders whenever they're watching Jesus pick this team. They're like, this guy has no clue what he's doing. Look who he's picking. He's picking these guys that have issues in their lives. All the while, the the religious leaders that are judging him, they have the issues. But they don't think that they do because they feel the sense that they're entitled, that they're elite. When all the time, Jesus is like, look, man. I come here to help the sick. It's the sick that need the doctor, not the healthy. Amen? Amen. So he's like, I got to help somebody. Because the religious, they're overlooking the ones that need the help. And so he picks these ordinary men. And he's letting them know, I'll choose you. When others would overlook you, I choose you. I want you to be a part of my team. And if you're on my team, you're not going to ride the bench. We're going to put you in the game. Amen? We're going to put you in the game. But Jesus, I never handled the rock before. I don't know how to bounce the ball. I don't know. And Jesus like, we will help you. We will help you. By the way, the rock would be like the ball for those of you who are not sports inclined. Okay. That's right. So let's, let's jump into the scripture verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says this. Listen to this verse. But you are God's chosen treasure. That's so strong. You're God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. Some of you are like, man, Jesus, that's kind of risky to be claiming me because I got some stuff. And Jesus is like, I can handle your stuff. I can change everything. He called you out of darkness to experience this light. And now he claims you as his own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. He had a purpose in mind for you. It wasn't just so that you would make it. He said, I want to change you so much. Not only will you make it, but you will help other people make it. See, that's a good God. Amen. That's a God who loves you. And so, listen, if you're not sure where you belong, you're trying to figure out what's your place in this world. I want you to know today, Jesus wants you. Jesus chooses you. Amen. He chooses you. And he said, I want you on my team. I want you on my squad. I want a relationship with you. And this is the foundation of our living. Amen. This is the beginning of our salvation. When we understand that it wasn't that I chose him, it was that he chose me because I wasn't even thinking like that, but he's always been thinking that way. He's always had his eyes set on me. And today I want you to know that he chooses you. You may have been overlooked. You may have been rejected, but Jesus over and over, he He chooses you. Amen. 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 And this following, the ones that he chose, this squad is called the church. See, I really feel a burden to to redefine what church is because we've allowed tradition to define how church operates. And we only see it as this corporate organization that is religious in nature that must observe certain things. But we're missing the main point because we're forgetting about the relationship with Jesus. And I want you to know that the church, listen, the church is such a key relationship for Jesus. So much so that he gives his life for her, that he is returning for her. Amen. This is what's on his mind. 
And he chooses to use you and I to reach the world, to invite more and more people. So he's saying, look, God's choosing you. He wants you. And maybe you've got a past, but that's all right. He can handle your past. He can handle it. He wants you still. He still wants you. He still wants you. He chooses you. And this church, nothing can stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Amen. In other words, it's not going to make Jesus stop choosing you. He says, I want you. I want you. And that's the starting point, but it continues. Here's another one of the squad goals that Jesus has. Number two, Jesus saves me. Yeah, he chooses you, but he wants to save you. So let me say it this way. He forgives our worst so we can be our best. That's strong. He forgives our worst so we can be our best. And Jesus will make you better than you could ever be on your own. And here's why. This is why he does it. Because he loves you. That's why. He loves you. And to hear a statement like, God loves you. Jesus loves you. It doesn't carry the weight that it should. Because it's expected. But when you consider how he gave his life, what he went through, the pain that he endured, the only thing that could motivate someone to endure what he endured was love. And the love that he has for us is so great that it blows our mind to consider that he would pay the price for all the things that I've done wrong so that I could be forgiven. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Meaning this, not just that I just sinned, Jesus forgive me, knowing that we would sin again, he still gave his life. That is love. He didn't manipulate the scene and twist your arm with guilt to get you to believe, but he showed you the love by giving his life so that as you observe what he has done for you, you consider the love that you have in your life and really come to the conclusion that no one has ever loved me like this. And because of it, it brings us to the place of, I want to follow this kind of person. I want to be a part of what this person is doing. This, that's the squad I want to be a part of. And it puts us in a position to begin to follow and trust and lean on and believe in. And because we trust and believe, guess what? We are saved. Because as I follow him, his influence begins to take over my life. And his influence where I used to get angry, now I'm staying calm. His influence now where I used to make this kind of decision and choose to do the wrong thing, that influence becomes so great that I'm making better decisions now. Yeah. Are, are you, because the relationship is affecting me and that relationship is saving me from craziness. I've heard so many parents say this, like when their kids in middle school, oh, thank God, little Johnny's in that relationship with Sarah. She has saved him from so much trouble. Sarah can't save little Johnny from everything, though, y'all. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Youth pastor stuff right there, huh, Joey? That's right. You can say that tonight. All right. Sermon material. Okay. I lost my place now. Joey got me fired up. Influence. The relationship with Jesus is influential. So much so, it saves your life. So watch this verse, Acts 16, verse 30. It says, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? They said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus. Then you'll live as you were meant to live. When you begin to trust him. You see, 
A lot of times it's, Jesus, come help me get out of my mess. Jesus, make sure nothing bad happens to me. In other words, Jesus, you stay committed to me while I go crazy. And Jesus said, hey, I'm committed to you, but I want you to be committed to me. See, he takes it to a whole nother level because it's not just a commitment. It's called covenant. And his covenant, watch this, there was a price for it. And the price for the covenant wasn't just his word, but it was his life. See, we can give each other our word, but a lot of people go back on their word. But Jesus says, I, I, I will give you my word. Not only will I give you my word, I will back it up with my life. And so he lays down his life for the sake of this commitment, this covenant that he makes with us. And in return, he says this, I want your commitment to me and I want a covenant with you. I gave my life and so you should also give yours. Are you following this? I mean, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you and I choose to follow you. I, I'm, I'm doing life your way now. Instead of my way, I'm doing life your way. And I think whenever you consider what Jesus has done for you, and when you consider that he went to the cross to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven, when you really consider that, it will quick, quickly bring you to the place of like, you know what? No one else would do that. No one else would do that. Why would I not follow? Why would I not be in a relationship with this man named Jesus? He has done more for me than anyone. And so what do we do? I trust in you, Jesus. I'm doing this your way. I'm going to follow you. And listen, the benefits of following Jesus are life-changing. Not just for you and the, 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 the life that you have, but for generations to come. Yeah. See, this thing is so powerful, it can't even be contained in one generation. That is the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Seriously, like this is so intense and we overlook it. I get fired up about it, sharing it with you. But sometimes we're just like, oh, Jesus, how you doing? Keep an eye out on me. And Jesus is like, you keep an eye out on me too. Where are we at? Let's do this together. Jesus, what's his goals? He chooses me. He saves me. Here's the third thing. He makes me. Some of you out there are like, oh, I knew it. Jesus is going to make me do stuff. Hold on, you see, like that's how our religious minds think. Jesus is going to make me do stuff I don't like to do. Well, hold up. Because really what we're saying is this. He told some fishermen, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. See, Jesus gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap because there's some hellfire and brimstone people out there that threaten people with the gospel instead of just preaching it. Because they're afraid that if it's not threatening enough, it won't work. And I need you to know that the love of God is the most powerful thing there is out there. Because in Romans 8, it says nothing can separate us from it. Not an angel, not a demon, nothing high, nothing low, nothing in between can separate us from the love of God. It is so powerful. And the love of God is so influential, it'll change your life. And God doesn't need to throw a thunderbolt and lightning at you to convince you. He doesn't have to. His love is strong enough. His love is so powerful, it can change your life. And when we open our hearts and experience His love, it's like, good Lord, I didn't know I could be loved like this. I want you, Jesus. I like you. Let's go. He makes us. He changes us. And the question for us today is, am I allowing Jesus to make me? And I'll say it this way. Whenever we do not allow Jesus to make us, we always feel like He's making us do things. We always feel like Jesus is making me do stuff. I didn't want to really want to do that. But when we allow him to make us, to build us, he said, I will build my church. When we allow him to work on us, 
It no longer feels like he's making us. It always feels like he's setting me up for something. Yeah, I do have to take a step of faith, but he's setting me up for something. It's stretching my faith, but it's making me grow. It's growing me into who he meant for me to be. So watch this. He calls his disciples. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They were only fishermen. That's all they were doing, just catching fish. And Jesus said, you come walk with me. I'll take your life to the next level. Because not only will you be able to catch fish, but you'll be able to catch people. You will affect people's lives if you follow me. And as these ordinary men begin to follow him, I want you to consider the miracles that they were a part of. I want you to consider not just the miracle that he did, but I want you to consider the parents of the person who experienced the miracle and the weight that they're carrying. And trying to figure out where they're going to find hope for this child that needed a miracle. And yes, Jesus did the miracle. And the kid gets the glory. Thank God he healed the kid. Jesus, you're the man. But I want you to consider the parents of that child that said, Jesus, you change everything. Thank God that you came to our town. Thank God that there's a group of people with you helping to set this up. Think of the first miracle where he turns water into wine. Somebody had to fill the water pots up or else there's no miracle to be had. But he includes people like you and I, ordinary people, to be a part of miracles that affect people's lives every day. He chooses us. He saves us. And he takes ordinary people and brings their life to the next level. And I think if you and I will understand this and truly have this relationship and truly find our place on this squad, this relationship with Jesus, I believe it will bring purpose to your life. I believe it will help you see new opportunities. It will give you a new perspective. And instead of feeling like the person that is always left out, you'll feel like the person that God is just sitting there hanging on the edge saying, look, i got something else for you. Here's what's next. But here's the thing. This is the challenge. It always requires another step of faith. That's why I say it's not just Jesus committed to me, but it's me committed to him. I'm walking with you, Jesus. I'm in a relationship with you. And so I'm walking wherever you're going. So watch this. When I'm a part of Jesus' squad, I get to see things I never thought I'd see. I get to go places I never thought I'd go. I get to do things I never thought I'd do. I see people all over this church doing things that they said at one time. Oh, I can't do that. I'll never do that. And now they're doing it. And they're so happy and fulfilled because it's like, Jesus, I didn't know. Like, this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. This is awesome. This is hard, but it's awesome. Let's go for it. He'll change your life. And when we say that, it just sounds so cliche, but I'm here today to tell you, he will change your life. So the question today is, who are you running with? Whose squad do you belong to? Do you belong to Team Jesus? Are you part of his squad? Do you have that relationship with him? Because he wants you on his squad. He wants to forgive your worst and make you exactly who he wants you to be. And I'm telling you, when you choose to be a part of Jesus' squad, it changes your life. I want to finish today with a story. The story is about Cynthia. She and I, this month, 24 years, we've been married. Yeah. And we're still looking good. She's going to be up here with me next week as we talk about squad goals for your spouse. 
But her story is amazing because she didn't grow up in the best home. There was a lot of dysfunction there and a lot of things that she had to endure and a lot of things that she had to go through. And then she meets me, falls in love with this handsome young gentleman. (laughs) And although you may think that I came along and saved her from all of it, that's not the truth. Because Jesus had already saved her. See, the way her story goes, and, and I remember our youth pastor told us this in our marriage, our premarital counseling before we got uh, married. He said, Cynthia, with your story, you're the kind of person that should be out there like committing crimes. <laughs> She's laughing because she knows where she came from. And some of y'all are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What kind of pastor we got here? Um, but live from family to family and experience different kinds of abuse, different kinds of all kinds of things. I mean, it's deep. And her perspective was, I'm not going to be like that. And that fueled her for a long time. But can I tell you that that can fuel you, but that can't change you because a lot of people say, I'm never going to be like that and become that because that's default. That's default mode. That's what they know. That's what they've been around so long that it just cycles. But she met Jesus and she opened her heart And watch this, she committed her life to him. And because she committed her life to him, he changed her. And he changed the way that she was thinking. And now she lives a life, honestly, where she said, I never dreamed that I would live this way. And I tell her, that's what you get when you marry me. No, that's not really what I say, but that would be a good thing to say. Uh, (laughs) That's the power of God in somebody's life. Because... See, I have a different experience. I come from a great family. I come from a family that was in the church. I was the first one there, last one to leave. I still do that. It's just what we did. But I see what God has done in her life, and it gives me a greater depth and understanding of what God can do in somebody's life. And whenever he says, I choose you, the significance of it. Because for somebody that feels alone and forgotten, Abandoned and rejected. For someone to say, I choose you, it changes their life. And today, I want you to know, God chooses you. Jesus says, I want you. And I can take your life. I can save it. I can change it. And I can make you into somebody you never, ever thought you can be. Even if you come from the craziest of backgrounds, I can turn it around. And I want us to bow our heads this morning because there, there's people here that need to respond to this. And maybe as you hear this message today, you realize, Pastor Way, that's me. I feel like I'm all alone. You may even have people around you, but you're like, Pastor Way, I feel like I'm all alone and forgotten and looked over. And maybe church has become just an observation because you know it's what you're supposed to do. But today you're understanding the depths of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that when you commit your life to him, he will change your life. And that is the most important team, the most important squad to be a part of is his squad, being on Team Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to have a relationship with Jesus. I need to surrender my life completely, make him my Lord and Savior, and let him save me, let him make me who he wants me to be. Today, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you have a past history in church, but you walked away from it and today the Lord is knocking on your door. Today is the day to respond. If that's you, say, Pastor, will you pray with me?
I need to surrender my heart and my life to Jesus today once and for all. Anyone else say, Pastor, will you pray with me? That's me. That's me. Yep, that's me. That's me. Amen. I love this part of our service. Every Sunday we get to pray this prayer together. Because I don't believe in doing this thing alone. I believe that God brought us together as the church, the spiritual family, to help each other keep going, keep growing. And so I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. And we do this every Sunday. You won't be the only one praying it. I want to ask everyone to say this prayer out loud together. Say, Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you that even though you knew all of my sins, you never stopped loving me. You went to the cross and paid the price for my sins so that I could be forgiven. So I make the decision today. I trust you. I will follow you. I'm living my life your way. In Jesus' name, amen.